0: We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical.
1: Just one more thing.
0: Hey, now. Oh, boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did.
1: <laughs> you wanted to be one way. What is the order?
0: What are these days? Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly claim it. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening.
2: Hello and welcome to the Teliverse Sound on Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Calzac, and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? I've been worse. Yes, you say that, but I'm going to let our listenership into something. You are lying, sir. You are sick. And I know because I am sick. <laughs> Toronto is killing people.
1: There's there's worse things than being sick. Although, also, um, it's my birthday on Saturday, and I can't remember if I'm turning 17 or 44.
2: It's somewhere so, in there.
1: It's, it's somewhere in between there, so... <laughs> We.
2: Yay! But I did get a chance to come up to Toronto and hang out with everybody uh, at, at TIFF for a few days there. I had to cut it short, but I made the meetup. It was so cool to hang out with everybody. Um, if we, I saw you there. It was great catching up. And if I didn't see you there, next time. Um, and uh, there's all sorts of TIFF coverage up at the website. So saying, I got to see you. Much Ado About Nothing. Thank you for hooking me up with that ticket, sir. Um, so I wrote a review of that. You have all sorts of reviews up.
1: Uh, I think I've got seven or eight up. I've still got another five or six that need to go up, so those should be going unspooling over the next couple of days. A lot of them are m- movies that we already have one review of, but uh, hopefully I'll uh, I'll have deep thoughts to impart on some of them. In particular, a documentary called The Act of Killing, which has been percolating in my brain the last couple of days.
2: Well, I know. Didn't Ricky say we have something like 60 reviews from TIFF or something?
1: But by the end, I think it's going to be something ridiculous like that, yes.
2: That's pretty awesome. Um, so of course you can find all that at Uh, I've been in Toronto so I don't have any new articles going up this week uh, but we do have reviews starting for uh, Boardwalk Empire which of course just had its premiere the other day and uh, as well as Revolution and of course right now there's also Alphas going and uh, several other shows uh, at the moment. You have uh, Louis of course and that's going to be in our spotlight. The spotlight is back ladies and gentlemen. Yes, so excited and to have I, it back.
1: Just for the and just for the record, uh, I do write weekly Louis, Louis reviews, but I've been waiting for this three-parter to wrap up before I, before I do a, a write-up on it. So that's why you haven't seen a Louis review in a couple of weeks. But there should be one up this Thursday on the whole late show shebang. <laughs>
2: And uh, let's see, also, of course, at the end of the show, we got a chance to talk with Steve Procopi, of course, Capone from A Cool News, about some horror picks. So the DVD shelf is also back. It's been missed, I know, uh, by by us as well as by, I know, some listeners who've gotten a hold of us. Uh, but that is that was so much fun, and we talked about uh, Salem's Lot and Duel and Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, which mm-hmm. was, I'm sure, entertaining for you because it was scary for me, and so therefore, you know...
1: Yeah, and if there are gaps between us, it's what I—it's what you find scary and what I find funny, as I <laughs> as I think we'll discover this week.
2: Yeah. Uh, also, uh, going to mention the Emmys are are uh, going to be at on uh, uh, next Sunday. Last year, I know we did a full show about that, but basically, we don't care that much <laughs> this year.
1: Yeah, we don't, and there's just not really time. We you got know. too much to talk about, otherwise. So screw you, Emmys.
2: We're going to give a few thoughts about that in our show notes before we go to, of course, our DVD shelf with Capone. But, uh, but yeah, we're we're not spending the time uh, this this year to really do that in depth.
1: Although, although I will say that I'm I, I'm I'm glad that uh, they already gave out a bunch of Emmys, and one of them was a Children's Hospital one for best short form
2: uh, nice. program, I
1: guess. So it beat out a bunch of you know like fake ass web series connected to other longer series so mm-hmm. good for them
2: good for them absolutely see we got some comments from you guys uh, we heard from marcio again who thank you very much give me a uh pronunciation uh, guide so i don't feel like a jerk for mispronouncing your name uh and uh let's see the suggestion was doing the dvd shelf on the prisoner have you seen the prisoner
1: no, I haven't.
2: Oh, it's trippy and fun. It's uh, it's a good one. So we'll see. Obviously, we would uh, we, we enjoy doing the DVD shelves, uh, Marcio. We let the guests pick, though. So I don't know when we'll be able to do The Prisoner, but hopefully soon. I'm a big fan. And you'll get to see one of the craziest, twistiest ser- series finales ever.
1: Um, I'm looking forward to it. Although this week, I'm planning on starting on Northern Exposure for some reason.
2: Mm, interesting. You'll have to let me know what you think. Um, Also, uh, let's see, he said he was going to check out some of the pilots, and appreciated our our guide last week, so that's cool. And also we heard from Mario, who answered our question, said that of the ones he's checked out so far, uh, the new pilots, he likes the new normal, he's iffy on on Mindy Project, but he likes uh, Christmas Eve and that. And then he's not sure about Revolution either, but said it had an awesome fight scene, because it did. That fight scene was badass.
1: It was pretty good. Uh, we'll see if they can deliver more than one of those when John Favreau is not directing.
2: Yeah, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later as we get into our week in TV. But uh, let's see. I think that the print wraps it up. No new iTunes ratings or reviews this week. Hopefully next week, guys. We very much uh, look forward to getting ratings and reviews because it not only does it make us feel good i guess about spending our time but also it helps other people find the show it lets people know when they're searching for a tv podcast that maybe we're one to check out uh and we are of course always trying to grow our our listener base and really talk to you guys and have a dialogue and so uh we very much appreciate those lovely people who have gone over to itunes to give us a rating or a review there uh, so maybe next week maybe for your birthday simon
1: yeah, that would be nice. Give that. Yeah. You know what? Do that. Send me a, or give us some feedback so that I will feel less ridiculous on my birthday. I love
2: that. <laughs> let's, uh, let's get into our week in TV, though. It's, uh, it's uh, rather, in like, last week there was, like, nothing on, and this week everything is kind of back. Let's start off with Tuesday and the So You Think You Can Dance performance finale. We watched this together, and uh, we finally got the ballet that I've been asking for, but I was a little underwhelmed
1: yeah it wasn't all that memorable
2: I mean, I think it's it's they're both good dancers, but the the trouble when you're you know anytime you have a routine and then you go to the judges and they all take a long time to say that was really hard and you made it look easy, but it's really hard that means that it didn't translate you know to, mm-hmm. they, they, they want to make sure the audience is aware that what these dancers are doing is difficult and and worthy of praise and if you need to tell us that. There's a problem. So I think the problem here was in the, uh, the the routine that was chosen for them to do, or maybe just because they're out of practice because they've been doing all these other styles. But um, but I like the show in general.
1: Yeah, it was pretty solid. Uh, I although frankly, after all the hyping up with Switch, is that his name? Twitch. Twitch. Um, I really I preferred Cyrus's solo routine compared mm-hmm. to the one he did with him.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought Cyrus was better than Twitch at the at that final thing, and it makes sense because that's not Twitch's thing. He doesn't do animation, so Cyrus has been doing it for way longer and is way more practiced and has way way more expertise at that. So it makes sense that he's mm-hmm. better at it. But um, I think people were had been waiting for that one for a while, pro- much like I had been waiting for them to do a ballet number. Um, I also thought that the pole dance thing was ridiculous. Um, just that tw- that turn Eliana was doing at the end, with, I have no idea how she did that, but it mm-hmm. was amazing. And uh, I gotta give it to um, uh, whenever they have Eliana dance with Alex Wong, who apparently the the So You Think You Can Dance fan base calls Alex Freaking Wong because I keep seeing that everywhere. Um, that was really great. It was it's so nice to see they were fabulous the last time they danced together, and that was just as strong here. I think it's gotta go to. Uh, Eliana and Keon for for me, but I would be okay with Cyrus getting it too because I think he's really good. What do you think?
1: Well, I think Cyrus is the more likely winner, but uh, I definitely agree that Keon should win. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if but if it was one person, I think we'd both agree it would be Eliana.
2: Yeah, she's pretty fabulous. I, I know that Nigel said that uh, he she was his new favorite in the run of the show, and that's in pretty high praise. So uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. They're going to have the results show. Tonight, actually. But I'm,
1: I'm always suspicious when judges on reality shows say that person in this new season is better than everyone else they've ever had. It, it always sounds like when a band is promoting their new record, this is the best album we've ever done every <laughs> every time, and it's almost never true.
2: Yeah, I, and I'm not familiar enough with the show to know but uh, I guess the the proof will be in the pudding if she if they bring her back in the next few years to be one of the all-stars, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. Next, we have the pilot to The New Normal, and then also actually episode two. They I guess probably due to the positive feedback they were getting online, they decided to actually push the pilot of The New Normal from last Tuesday when it was supposed to be to the day before, and they did a one-two punch. Last week, I haven't seen the second episode, but I will briefly say I liked the pilot We talked about this last week in our fall t v preview and uh I thought that you know there's some promising elements, there's some less promising elements, actually, Unfortunately, the weak point is Ellen Barkin, which I wouldn't normally say, but the character the giver is just so terrible anyways, um apparently, there's not much change in that in the next few episodes uh so at least that's what most critics are saying so this is one that i'm going to check back in on later i think it's promising but i'm not oh i'm not, I, it didn't win me over as quickly as some of the others did um you didn't get a chance to see that one yet yes
1: Yeah, uh, no but i'm i may next week
2: okay i would be i'd be interested to see what you think um let's move on though to parenthood which had its season four premiere last week and uh i already talked about this briefly last week i liked it a lot what did you think
1: well, yeah, and uh, like you, I'd never seen any Parenthood, so I'm just uh, jumping in, just having to figure out who these characters are and how they relate to each other. And I think um, more than anything else, it's just so great to have the Jason um mm-hmm. uh, patter back on on TV. The the rhythms, just people talking over each other, like you mentioned, uh, the naturalism of it. It's not it's not that his character his characters are almost never quotable. Mm-hmm. it's just it it's more in in how they talk than what they say um which is which is great to see uh you know really likable cast i would say the main difference between this and friday night lights based on this one episode so far at least is and maybe it's just maybe it's a necessity because of the themes of the show it does it does strike me as a touch more saccharine than okay. uh, than friday night lights was which i do have a little bit of a hard time with um hopefully they'll dial that back a little bit i mean this you know this is the daughter leaving home episode. So obviously that's going to be high on that almost as if it were a finale. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping the other episodes aren't so heavy on that, but you know, other than that element, I'm, I'm definitely curious to see um sort of what a, what a season of parenthood looks like.
2: Yeah, we'll uh we'll see. Oh, and cause of course the next episode will be on tonight. Uh, assuming if you listen to this, when, it, when we put it up, the next episode's on tonight. So we'll get to talk about that next week. But uh, I really liked Ray Romano in this. I, I would say for me, it didn't grab me, as quickly as Friday Night Lights did but I I, I think it has the potential uh, to to really get me if not quite you know right now Friday Night Lights is like in my top 10 all time Uh, so I don't think this is quite you know didn't grab me that same way that 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 did but I think it has a lot of really interesting characters and a lot of dynamics that they can explore so I look forward to following the Bravermans for for this next uh, season and seeing seeing where that takes me so we'll see uh, Mm -hmm. I guess what happens next
1: I am concerned that with the Ray Romano character, it's it seems like the way that he's, the way he's playing, the way he's been characterized, he seems like a guy who's had some sort of horrible loss, and we're going to find out about it, and... Because he has no family, he's not fulfilled, and he needs family.
2: <laughs> it's a very family-yay kind of show.
1: <laughs> so he's going to try to insinuate himself into another family, but it's not going to work. So they, I don't know, I, I feel like I can project what his arc is, and I'm hoping I'm wrong. So, Kadim's prove me wrong.
2: <laughs> Let's, speaking of uh, prove me wrong, I would have said that Jimmy Fallon would be a, a, a good guy to create a sitcom... And he proved me wrong, because he is behind guys with kids.
1: Well, he's partially, he's one of several people, but let, let, let's, let's smear this around as <laughs> let's far share as we the can. He, he has a story credit on this one, and he uh, he helped create it. He's, I, I and I'm pretty sure he's the guy at the beginning who says, this is taped in front of a live studio audience.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so, you know, hoping to make you feel comfortable and safe. But yeah, this isn't good. Um, this has this wins this season's uh, "How to Be a Gentleman" award for most egregious waste of talent on, <laughs> a, on a on an iffy at best sitcom premise that they'll be lucky to wring any laughs out of. Mm-hmm. Um, to to me, the hardest working, the most sadly hard working in this is uh, Anthony Anderson, who uh, was so, was so great on The Shield and other things. And you know has great aptitude as, as a com- as a comedic and dramatic actor, and he gets the one chuckle out of me in this episode when he when he looks at one of his kids and says and says we have nothing, which means you have nothing too, <laughs> or something to that effect, which was actually really funny, and he and he sold it so good for him. But yeah, the the fact that so much of this boils down to hey, these men are holding babies, isn't that funny?
2: Isn't it so ridiculous that a man could take care of a child?
1: Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, you know, also Jamie Lynn Sigler, uh, Zach Kreger, who I know the whitest kids, you know, wasn't the greatest show ever, but I don't think he deserves this fate.
2: Come on, Erin Hayes. She's I promise she's good on Children's Hospital.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. And she gets the worst character by
2: far. Terrible character. It's really not her
1: fault. Yeah, no, it's just so, so, so bad.
2: Yeah, Um, we've only talked about this for two minutes, but I think we've already given it too much time. Don't watch yeah. the show.
1: Yeah. Oh, sorry. I also have to shame Kareem Abdul- Abdul-Jabbar. What the hell oh, God, was that? Oh God. Yeah.
2: It's sad when you're stooping to stunt casting in your pilot. You know, it's like it's not like you're in season six. You've run out of ideas. It's in the pilot. the The most entertaining or the thing that gets by far the biggest reaction from the audience is, "Hey, there's a famous guy."
1: Uh, yeah. That that whole sequence is just a carnival of shame.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Let's move on. Let's talk about Sex House, which had its finale. Right. That was on Thursday. Uh, or it was put up on, onto YouTube on Thursday, that is. Now, uh, I got to say, you oversold this one for me because I, I went through and watched the whole thing based on your recommendation that it was like the funniest thing you've ever seen. And it was only mildly entertaining.
1: To, to be fair, I think I may have called it uh, the greatest TV series ever invented. So uh, my, the whole point was, was to oversell it. So I guess <laughs> I did my job. Um, I, I, in terms of strictly the the finale, I I was actually a little bit disappointed by it just because the last few episodes before that were so great at amping up the craziness. Yeah, And the, the reunion episode was doing something different. Although I did like the way that I I guess the producers described it, which was that these, these people have been destroyed and reassembled as, as reality show characters, which Mm -hmm. is, which is an an interesting way of putting it and, and sort of reframes the whole thing. I don't know. Um, I, th- I think what I enjoyed about sex house was just besides the sort of the, the, the twist on, uh, because when when you see that first episode, you th- you think, Oh, okay, this is just sort of a basic reality show takeoff, whatever. And I, I didn't even watch it again until I think when episode four or five was kicking around, people were starting to talk about how nutty it was getting. Um, but I, I, I like what they did with um, playing, toying with genre and I like the the strange little details, like by the I think it's the second to last episode they've developed their own language, <laughs>
2: um,
1: like they're they're talking about uh, Christ's instead of months or whatever, and, <laughs>
2: um,
1: and which is b- because they're on Chris Drive or whatever. And uh, I don't know, lots of lots of little details like that. I, I like the way they start out as these reality show archetypes and then gradually become sort of a strange hive mind. Uh, I don't know. I, I I liked a lot about it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I can see where the humor is. I like that they went that way with that. I thought it was interesting, but I just wasn't laughing out loud. It was more of like an internal recognition of, yeah, that's an interesting analysis of popular culture. Um <clears throat> I, so I, I really think it was just a matter of it having been oversold, but it definitely is creative, and I, I very much enjoyed the uh, Onion News Network show that was out uh, was it last year, the year before. That was hilarious. So I mean, I think they've done so far. The Onion has done a good job with their uh, with yeah. their TV shows. I, I'm pretty shorts. sure the
1: Onion the Onion News Network is coming back. I think it's just the sports show that didn't get uh, didn't get a renewal. Okay. So we that perhaps we'll we'll talk about that at some point. It
2: comes back absolutely. Um, let's move on to Children's Hospital and NTSF S D S U V. The uh, Children's Hospital episode was Return of the Young Billionaire. Now remind me, a pair, I am not. I think I just have a bad memory here. Have we seen that character before?
1: I don't think we have. Okay, so I've... it's
2: just you know an entertaining title meant to yes. cause that exact reaction from me. Yes. Okay. What did you think? I
1: thought this was another solid episode of Children's Hospital. I think the um, I I think best line goes to Megan Mullally for "I feel a strange connection with this money," (laughs) um, or or something to that effect. Um, once again, sort of retreating from the high conceptness, which is a little bit uh, disappointing for me. But um, I don't know. I almost can't think about Children's Hospital this week because next week we're 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 getting the UK episode, which looks
2: amazing. Holy crap. Yeah, I, just the, the next time on, like the 30-second next time on, was more intriguing and entertaining to me than this whole episode. It wasn't, it's not that it's a bad episode, I mean, it was still funny, but I enjoyed last week's so much more that it you know, can't help but feel like a little bit of an off week, and that actually, for me, extends to NTSF SDSUV, which was nowhere near as funny for me. The whack-a-mole did not work, I thought, anywhere near as well as the rest of the season
1: Yeah, we had Ellie Kemper on this week, who was, you know, pretty good, but, um, yeah, kind of, again, kind of an average episode of NTSF, not, neither, neither particularly funny, nor, uh, nor a total train wreck, as I'm sure it could totally do if it felt like it, but hasn't, but it hasn't so far, which is, which is good, but, you know, it was no time angels.
2: It was no time angels. Absolutely. Um, let's, let's move on, though, to our next one, which is awkward and, uh, and once upon a blog you checked back in with this one i know you you've uh kind of jumped ship with the show what did you think about this episode were you glad you tuned in or did it confirm your decision to to well, part ways with this show
1: just to be clear um i checked in with this one means you were in my house when you watched it and so i also watched it that's true. um that's really all that means just for anyone who was hoping i might be rebuilding. i could have
2: watched it when you were at work
1: no, well, anyway, um, yeah, I mean, it was, this was sort of the alternate reality episode, which I would be totally cool with them doing more toying with the format, uh, but I I didn't think this was astonishingly creative as far as that goes. Mm-hmm. It felt, it was very rigidly segmented, you know, they did a little Twilight riff because it's MTV and they like that.
2: I know, I thought it was funny, I like their Twilight riff. It,
1: it was cute, but, you know, I, I felt like they could have done more with it. Mm -hmm. um and that was sort of my feeling about the whole episode like they it it was a little bit creative but maybe not as interesting as it like it it felt like kind of a stopgap measure like we have 13 episodes not 12 or whatever and we need Mm -hmm. something to do so let's let's toy with this in ways that'll make the the shippers and fanboys and fangirls you know feel funny sensations and let's (laughs) let's let's move on after that
2: yeah i think the uh the blogging um Bookending pattern throughout the episode was was bothering me more than uh than they intended. It, it really stuck out to me and was particularly jarring. I mean, when I'm sitting there watching this, and what's popping to mind is, hey, how come she's blogging past tense when <laughs> when she is theoretically writing what she is thinking? Why is she saying I was? It's, you know, that, that it feels that's just little inauthenticities like that were popping out to me. And uh, I think it would have just worked better if it had been like a, you know, four act exploration of, of what ifs without that, you know, without that narrative tool of, oh, I'm imagining what could happen. I think they should trust their audience a little bit more to just kind of go with them and realize that this is a TV show and that people will accept that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they they really with the narration and the uh, and the framing device, they really they were very hand-holdy about it.
2: Yeah. And it also feels just kind of like a like stretching out time because because yeah. of the way they framed the oh, and now I know who I'm going to pick and they don't say cuz you know, they're mm-hmm. they're really milking that.
1: Yeah, I'm just really anxious for them to get past this whole thing and maybe do something mm-hmm. more interesting next season.
0: Eh.
2: We'll see. Yeah. Um let's see. Next is Wilfred and and resentment. And this was, of course, about Jenna and her fiancé's uh, wedding, and then Wilfred eats the ring, and all there's all sorts of craziness. What did you think of this episode?
1: I felt like this was unusually familiar for a Wilfred episode. Like, a lot of the beats are things we've seen before in romantic comedies or whatever, with, you know, the guy having to deal with his you know former crush or whatever getting married and then having to be part of the wedding and then not wanting to and then doing Mm -hmm. it anyway and then blah 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 like i don't know i i feel like i tried usually depend on wilfred to supply more interesting takes on this sort of thing and it didn't really do that this week which was disappointing it does continue its trend of being reasonable and relatable and sensitive and pleasant which is good, uh, but there wasn't enough of an edge or sort of a twist to it, I think, for me this week.
2: Yeah, it was a surprisingly unmemorable episode. We had to kind of look up some stuff to jog our memories about what actually happened, you know, and it was only like half a week ago. Um, but uh, I, I did enjoy the subplot with Wilfred's, uh feeling of betrayal towards Jenna because she's petting other dogs. Uh, that, that worked for me, but... Um, yeah, the while it was great to see Alison Mac back, and I'm glad that they haven't dropped that thread. We'll see what happens with that, and in, in, I think next week is the finale. I think so. Yeah, well, so we'll see what happens with that in, in the finale. But uh, but but the rest of the episode, you know, was a little disappointing. Though I will say, I was very glad that they didn't pull a Cyrano de Bergerac like I thought they were going to, and have Ryan write uh, Chris Klein's character's vows for him.
1: Right, yeah, that would have been annoying.
2: I was, I was like, I don't know if you remember, I was like dreading that out loud. Yeah, yeah wh- no, when I, I remember.
1: <laughs> and then it, it, yeah, in a in a very Wilfred move, it, they kind of set that up, and then it's just like, let's get stoned. So
2: that, let's get stoned, uh, and then I'll write my own. Yeah,
1: yeah, that that was much more satisfying.
2: Hopefully, I mean, Wilfred's made a real improvement this season. Hopefully, they'll take it out on a high note. Uh, and again, it's not that this is a bad episode; it's just not quite as good as the rest of the mm-hmm. season. And,
1: I mean, the, the first season finale is probably the best episode of the first season, so I'll be curious to see if they can pull that off again this time.
2: Absolutely. Um, next, on Friday, we had the Lost Girl Season 2 finale, Flesh and Blood. I wanted to mention Lost Girl again because it's just been one of those shows that I keep watching, but uh, I don't really have that much to say week to week. I, I continue to enjoy the show. I've, I've had some issues this season with the pacing of some of the relationships, um, but in general, I think it's, it's does it's been a good and reliable genre show for those of us who like that kind of thing. And I think they've done a good job building as I'll ever building their characters, building their world, establishing really, you know, really strong connections between not just their, you know, their love triangles, not getting too caught up in that. And, uh, instead centering it on Bo and her family and, you know, a big part of that is Kenzie. And I very much enjoyed following that journey, uh, We'll see what happens with, with next season. I'm not sure I'm a big fan of, of how they ended things. But, of course, Evil Bow or the potential for an Evil Bow was always going to be something they were going to explore in the show. So I guess we'll see what happens next year. Um, I think it's actually starting up pretty soon because actually, Siffy started airing Lost Girl you know, so long after the show premiered in Canada. I think we're actually going to get season three pretty soon here, but uh, I've definitely been enjoying it, and I will be checking in for the next season. I'm curious, if you're watching Lost Girl, let me know if you're still sticking around for it, because I think it's, you know, I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, But let's move on to Saturday and Doctor Who, A Town Called Mercy. I'll let you start.
1: Oh, all right. So, because I know myself, I didn't watch Dinosaurs on a Spaceship, uh, but I felt like I could, yeah, you're making a face at me. Uh, But I felt like I could deal with a Western episode, so I did watch A Town Called Mercy, which I didn't think was very good. Um, That's because it
2: wasn't, but Dinosaurs Mm -hmm. on a Spaceship was.
1: I don't believe you. The whole structure of the episode seemed quite strange to me, where it seems like all the cards are on the table by the 15-minute mark, and then we're just sort of readjusting them for the next 30. Um, It seemed strange to me that the conclusion of the episode was... um, the uh, as you mentioned, Mingele esque uh, doctor basically just blows himself up. Which, if that had happened half an hour ago, it would have made no difference to anyone.
2: <laughs> but everybody seems totally cool with that. There's no like moral quandary or you know, there's no no examination of that at all. Just he.
1: Yeah. Whereas everyone was everyone was uh, it was a huge issue when the doctor had his gun pointed at him and not letting him leave town or sorry get back into town. Uh, but it's no big deal if he goes out there and blows himself up. Whatever, um, which seemed uh, strange. A lot of really, cl- really clunky dialogue. Um, which, you know, a, a couple of sort of like, like vaguely entertaining zingers here and there, but mostly just really, really bad dialogue. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't get why people are freaking out over this one, other than it's a Doctor Who Western.
2: Yeah, the um, I, the the reaction online has been almost exclusively positive. Uh, to some extent. I don't think I've actually read another critical review. I kind of bashed this one. I was not particularly kind. Um, And the thing that I find most interesting about my not liking this episode is that I actually like a lot of the elements within it. I think the performers are all really good. I think Ben Browder does a really good job as Isaac. It's just that the script they're given to work with is is not good. It's, you know, it, it has... Really unfortunate dialogue in several places, a couple of the characters are just completely sidelined. Rory gets nothing to do, as I mentioned in my review. You would think that the the nurse and the you know, the healer of the of the care you of know, the crew would have a strong opinion about surgeons do you know performing atrocities on their patients, but he never gets any opportunity to express any opinion here because they're so focused on and it's Toby Whitehouse who wrote the script is so focused on the Amy on one side, Doctor on the other side, dichotomy. So he doesn't let there be more than two sides, uh, and and that's really unfortunate. And what I find particularly uh, frustrating is that last week, they had a, it was a really good episode, and it was a really good episode for the Doctor and Amy and Rory and Rory's dad, who was a new character, and Nefertiti, who was a new character. And then there was another big, there was another character who was also new, who was who was pretty good. So they they serviced like. Six or seven characters last week, very well, all of whom uh, got got significant moments and half of whom were new. So obviously this is something that they can do on Doctor Who very well. They just didn't this week, and I don't know why. Toby Whitehouse has written much better scripts than this in, for Doctor Who in the past. And so I was very disappointed. I love me my westerns, and uh, and I was prepared to really like this one. I like the uh, first Doctor Western, the Gunslingers, which I know is very campy, and so some people aren't fans of. But I was really holding out hope for this. But even even the cyborg design, I didn't really care for, and that framing device, at the top and the bottom, was kind of terrible. I don't know. I I had a lot of problems with this episode.
1: Yeah, I did. Well, that's because it wasn't very good.
2: Yeah, no. it looked pretty, right? The location filming was was pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, the whole, I don't know, the whole town itself was a little bit um, uh, Back to the Future 3 for me, I don't know.
2: Yeah, well, and just all the townspeople, that, that's one of the things that was bothering me so much about this episode. Not only did they give Rory nothing to do, and did they, you know, kind of go all over the place with this uh, Collar Jack character, but every other townsperson, except for Isaac, is a cardboard cutout, and, and a rather annoying one at that. They did a terrible job fleshing out the world of this town.
1: Well, yeah, it didn't. It didn't really feel like a community. It just felt like a like a mob, mm-hmm. like a bunch of people just standing around
2: with nothing. It didn't feel like they lived there. It didn't feel like they yeah. existed in the scenes that they weren't a part of.
1: Yeah. When the doctor says, "I'm gonna stay here," you're like, "Really?" Really?
2: <laughs> yeah. He seemed to care way more than he should have based on the limited interactions he had with these people. I don't yeah. know. Um, let's move on to something a little better, which is a little more promising, which is The Thick of It, which had episode two up on on Hulu on Saturday. What did you think?
1: If by a little better, you mean a lot better. Uh, of course, this week we swing over to uh, labor. See, I got it right this time. Woo-hoo. And uh, and of course, look at what Malcolm and Nicola and Ollie are up to. First of all, Ollie looks very adult all of a sudden. <laughs> I mean, And by all of a sudden, I mean in the gap between this season and last, which is probably like three years. Uh, which was a bit of a shock um it's definitely interesting to see Malcolm just so desperate and defanged and just lost and you know just i i he says something about how he's he's reduced to just twitter abusing the cast of glee for, uh, for kicks <laughs> which which that. is very which is very sad indeed um i I I'd be interested to get your read on this, but um I mean obviously the scene where he describes the plot of Star Wars to Ollie is really funny. But do you think that he actually doesn't know what Star Wars is? Or doesn't it's he? Because I had a hard time believing
2: that. I would have a hard time believing he had never seen Star Wars. That seems to be something that writers like to do every now and again. As if it's like the movie that people, you know, that they can make a point about a character by saying they haven't seen. Um, so I don't believe that he hasn't seen it. I could believe that he had seen it and doesn't remember it, but he seems too culturally savvy. I mean, he's talking about twittering with Glee kids to, yeah, exactly. to not actually know Star Wars. I, I'd like to think instead he's just fucking with him because that feels much more Malcolm Tucker.
1: Right, but it, it I guess it says something about the writing that I, I couldn't tell which it was. And yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely easier to believe that he was, he was just fucking with Ollie. Um, I, I, I especially liked, I mean, you haven't seen uh, season three yet. But um, the development of Nicola Murray as just this supremely useless uh, leader <laughs> is is interesting. Um, she's supposed to, her position here is is apparently inspired by the uh, the fellow who took over Labor uh, Ed Miliband, uh, which I, I don't know anything about the stuff, so I apologize for even mentioning it. Hmm. But um, it is interesting to see her assume that kind of role. Uh, we have some new cast members as well, which I'm curious to see how that pans out. And yeah, I'm I'm very interested to, interested to see where um Malcolm's whole let's overthrow this useless, useless person uh plot goes. I don't think it's gonna go the way he expects it will. Um and I'm very curious to see how all this dovetails in apparently the last few episodes. Which I'm I'm also under the impression that this is barring specials going to be the last season.
0: Ooh,
2: which, interesting. Uh, Tears. Which I'm
1: curious. I'm wondering if this ends in a uh, in a grotesque shootout.
2: <laughs> I'm really enjoying the format. Uh, I mean, we're only two episodes in, but just going back and forth to the two, you know, the 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 party in control and the opposition. Uh, I'm really enjoying that. Uh, and so we'll see. It'll be like it'll be fun to go back next week and watch them react to bat people.
1: <laughs> yes, quiet bat people. Quiet
2: bat people. Yeah, that's what it was. Um, and and that's I mean that's going to be a lot of fun, I think. So, watching kind of how this comes together, I think it's just a really smart way to structure, especially if it's going to be a final season. I enjoyed it. I think probably my favorite part of the episode was Ollie trying to come up with a Malcolm Tucker kind of thing that he (laughs) might have said. And he's so terrible at it. Oh, it was great. Um, But yeah, more people need to be... We said it last week, more people need to be watching The Thick of It and talking about it, because the show is hilarious. It is... I mean, I guess I still, I guess I like Louis a little better, but is almost is pretty much the best thing going right now, as far as comedy, um, and even maybe overall.
1: As far as straight up comedy goes, I mean, Louis is on a whole other chart, especially this season. Yeah. Um, but uh, we'll we'll talk about Louis a bit later.
2: Yeah, let's move on though to Sun Sunday and the premiere of Boardwalk Empire.
1: Right, uh, which you haven't really seen any yes. of. I um, haven't seen any. Right. Uh, The the standard line on Boardwalk Empire for people who aren't stupid is um, it it is a show that looks and sounds and feels like a top tier, great prestige drama on par with Mad Men or Breaking Bad or The Sopranos. And it's got the pedigree, it's got the actors, it's got the directors, it's got the cinematography, it's got the music, it's it's got more than the production value, but it never quite is good enough to join the upper echelon and and uh that the season this third season premiere was definitely a reminder of that uh it it had so much to enjoy uh but it just didn't come together in in the same way that uh, a great show wouldn't and a lot of it feels uh weirdly predictable for instance um Bobby Cannavale joins the cast uh, this season as a gangster named Jip and he's really really good in ways I wasn't really anticipating but the fact that he's a non historical character joining uh joining a season in the first episode in a clearly adversarial position he's dead. Means <laughs> you know he's not making it to season four so that's it's that's a little disappointing I mean who knows maybe it'll surprise me but um I don't know in in terms of the way the we have this framing device with the you know the first female pilot to cross the continent and it, you've seen these tricks before done better and um the fact that it all looks really pretty and is really well acted isn't quite enough to make up for that. I'm still definitely going to watch the entire season, um, especially if it wraps up as well as season two did. But I, I was definitely reminded that this is a good show that think, that thinks it's a great show and can never quite seem to bridge that gap for very long anyway.
2: Like we said earlier, I haven't seen any of Boardwalk Empire, but that kind of reinforces the, my decision to to check out Treme first, because that's coming back next week, so... At, uh, I, I think I will eventually get to Boardwalk Empire, but yeah, just nothing has really felt, you know, given me a sense of urgency and needing to catch up with it.
1: Yeah, that, that sounds about right.
2: Let's move on to Monday and The Voice, which is continuing its blind auditions rounds. There was, um, of course, the premiere last week, and then there were two other days where they had one hour, um, uh, uh, premiere, one hour premiere week episodes. Uh, with more auditions, and then we had the two-hour episode on Monday last night, and then there's going to be another, I think, one today, one hour today. So they're really milking uh, the voice uh, audition round, which is the most popular round, as a way to kick off their new fall shows as well as they can, and I actually think it's a pretty smart move. Um, But I will say that uh, the voice, I think, has has been pretty good this season so far. I think the audition rounds have been good. There's a lot of talent there, and I think they've done a really good job of Distinguishing the voice as a show, its personality from some of these other shows by really stressing the role as coaches. Even just in the audition process, almost all of the the people get feedback whether or not they are get on the show. Whether or not somebody pushes a button and takes them on their team. Everybody gets a, like some actual back and forth with the coaches and as somebody who's done competitions and auditions and things like that one of the most frustrating things about it is that you never get comments you never get feedback so you 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 know work so hard towards this thing and either you get it or you don't you don't get to find out what you maybe need to improve on and so I I really appreciate that they you know spend some time doing that at least on the show um then I think there's also some good singers I think it's a, in general a better bunch than we had last time and uh, there was one in particular that I enjoyed in this past week. There were several good people, but uh, this guy, a- Aquil, I think his name is, he's on Team Christina, did uh, Your Song. And I it, it was one of those performances where I, I get the song now, because he did such a great job of of giving that... Because, you know, Elton John's Your Song, it needs to be really conversational and really simple. And uh, and I, I've enjoyed the song before. It was brought to my attention by Moulin Rouge, which is not the best version, Um but but his performance of it was just so relaxed and and uh, like I said conversational that I really enjoyed it. So I um, there's going to a couple people like that that I'm looking forward to to seeing how they how the season treats them, I should say. So I'm I'm still enjoying the voice and I imagine you're not going to check in anytime soon, right?
1: No, I think I had my fill last season.
2: Fair enough, fair enough. Um, let's move on to the Mob Doctor, which premiered, uh, and <laughs> it's the Mob Doctor. It's exactly what the title would have you think. I will say though, I got to give it some props, Jordana Spiro. Uh, I always, you know, I already said in our pre- uh, our preview episode last week that I liked her a lot on My Boys, and I like her here. She's good. Unfortunately, what she's given to work with is kind of terrible. Um, it's nowhere near as bad as a show called The Mob Doctor. <laughs> has has a right to be. It's much better than you than, you know, the the just that basic, you know, title and premise, you know, would theoretically allow. But it's nowhere near good enough for me to watch on a weekly basis. The fact that it's something that I could see myself tuning back into at some point is is surprising and shows that that, you know, they they're doing a couple things right. But Zach Guilford is utterly unremarkable in this. I love him in Friday Night Lights, but He's a non-entity on the show so far. Jelko Ivanic is barely in the premiere. He's not actually with the mob. Theoretically, that seems like a mistake. He's he's a one of the head surgeons at her hospital. But I have a feeling we're going to find out he's in the mob because he's Jelko Ivanic. They don't he doesn't play nice guys usually. Um, yeah. Not that he couldn't. He's fabulous. Um and there are a couple of things. I mean, I, I just—I already can tell I'm going to hate the family, the the mom, and the trouble—the <laughs> troubled brother who got her into this mess. Ma- you know, I don't know. So, having a very, really likable lead, Jodena Spiro, is not enough to get me to watch an utterly mediocre show. But, like I said, I was surprised that it is as good as it is, um, and we'll see what happens to it.
1: I—I I think I need to rephrase that for you. Not good enough to make you watch an utterly mediocre show. That is called the Mob Doctor. Yeah. Just just to be clear, that sounds it's called, right. It's called the Mob Doctor, and you—I don't know for, personally. For I don't me, know. Unforgettable like any, is worse. Unforgettable. I don't know. It's the worst title. There's just something. There's just something even lamer about the Mob Doctor. Like it. It's it's just so I don't know. It's just such a such a Mad Lib moment <laughs> for TV prog- programming, and I don't know. I would just feel incredibly lame watching it. Even if it was the next Good Wife.
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I don't, Good Wife is also not a great title, but... I mean, it's it's not a bad title, but... It's not The Mob it, Doctor, it, but... In
1: retrospect, it's sort of a misnomer. Mm-hmm. Almost. you know, I don't they're know, playing
2: it, with it, it,
1: but... Yeah, it it kind of works, but it feels like the title of a show that's less good. Like yeah, The Mob Doctor.
2: Like The Mob Doctor. Let's move on then and we'll talk about the Revolution pilot briefly. We mentioned this, of course, in more detail uh, last week in our preview episode... But I liked it as one of the stronger fall pilots, I thought. And Giancarlo Esposito is awesome. And it's it's so great to see him be charismatic and evil in a different kind of way. It's nice to watch him smile and still be scary. Um, And there are some good... Billy Burke is good. I like the quest aspect to this. And as Mario mentioned, there's a badass fight scene. What did you think of the pilot? Uh,
1: I agree with everything you just said. As other people pointed out, the premise is quite silly and um i think the re- the the clear uh weaknesses in the cast are the younger people mm-hmm. uh, particularly our female lead and the quasi love interest
2: and her her which... brother's not much better
1: her brother i think no. i like her
2: more than her brother
1: yeah neither of them is very good uh just yeah i don't really i that's the aspect of the show that if if the next day he got um, shot if if the next day like I don't know Billy Burke discovers they all died of the rickets, I would be okay with it mm-hmm. and then just move on with adults. That would be fine. Um Yeah, actually, can we have a high concept uh TV sci-fi show about how all the teenagers died?
2: Hey, there are good teenagers on TV. They're just not on this show.
1: Well, they just aren't in general they're they're a trouble spot for shows like this and I don't know. Yeah. I, I I wouldn't it just be refreshing to see a show made up entirely of adults? Nah. Yeah. No? yes,
2: yes it would be. There are good shows made up entirely of adults, but as we already referenced Friday Night Lights earlier this episode, there's there are shows that are oh, I, fabulous I, that are made up I, entirely I, I, of teens. Yeah,
1: I, I'm not saying it, it 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 can't be done. I'm just saying it, it it would be it would be nice.
2: It would be nice. Um, let's move on and talk about Alphas, which is our last show of our week in TV. And this was, I need to scroll down a little bit. This was Falling, and I imagine this had to be one of your favorites this week, because this was a cat episode.
1: Uh, this was a cat episode, but it was also, it was a lot of things. It kind of felt Mm -hmm. like two episodes crammed into the space of one episode, which is not necessarily a problem. Um, the cat stuff was good. Good. I've kind of. It felt a little, a teensy bit predictable, um, but um, but still, still good. Gave Aaron Way lots to do, which was, which was good. She's been a, a fabulous addition. Um, it, it felt like we we had beats in there for everyone this week, except for maybe Gary, who was just mostly annoyed a lot.
2: Yeah, but I loved that. I loved watching him interact with uh with Cat. It, it was you know, and yeah. just, she just dangles those keys in front of him and all his moral scruples go out the window.
1: <laughs> it yeah, was yeah. great. Yeah, that was that was great. Uh the stuff with Rachel and the the boyfriend was uh well I I I always like when they remind us just what a burden her powers are mm-hmm. in very particular ways. Um and uh, that's it's it's been nice to call back to that. Uh, the stuff with Rosen and the daughter, I thought, worked nicely. It, I was sort of dreading it, but I really thought that last scene worked very well and was quite upsetting.
2: Yeah, though the music in the last scene was terrible. It was like punching you in the face. Yes. But yeah, not, in a, not in a good way. Uh, so, uh, I yeah, I, I liked that in this episode. I liked that we saw... I, I liked that they brought back the fact that she is a recovering addict and... And in that, to have Nina and Rose have that conversation where he's desperate to help her and he has to try to figure out the best way. I mean, it, the what they end up with seemed really predictable and and uh, dis- you know disappointing. And I would, I'm really hoping that they're going to go a different way with it and she's going to like come around and accept, you know, realize that he's really trying to help her and not be all scorned. And so now she's hardcore on Parrish's side and she's going to get her dad, you know, I'm really hoping to turn that around some way, but, uh, know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, as I think the performances from both of them were, were really strong this week and I just, the, the the simplicity of a little scene like Danny helping Hicks and his son communicate, that was just, that was beautiful, it was really nice and Alpha's uh, does those moments so well, um, that aside from its role as one of, probably actually the best genre show going right now, um, it It just has such humanity in in those moments, and like for example, I loved also what we got with Kat. I was really impressed with her storyline this week yeah I, it just it was it it was really a very human story, aside from all the awesome superpowers
1: yeah and i I like that we're not even close to done figuring out what her deal is, even after all yeah. that like there's a knife with an inscription and Mm-hmm. There's a mention of some other thing that happened, and we still have no idea what that was. And I also like that somehow in the middle of this episode, there was a actually pretty complicated uh, sort of supposed main plot involving a drug that's mm-hmm. actually like a blood sample from some sort of, we I guess, alpha, but we never figure out what her deal is. And so this is this whole thing in the background that I, I even maybe would have appreciated a little bit more time with. Is mm-hmm. to figure out what that was about, but just and, and it was a lot, actually quite a bit to unpack if you think about it.
2: Yeah, well, and even just something like with Cat, they've talked about her the negative, like the downside for her. Oh, she doesn't remember things. She doesn't remember her life or her mom. It's so sad. And here they go. It's like it's not just that because she doesn't remember, she's been repeatedly, repeatedly victimized by people, and there's nothing she can do to defend herself. I mean, I think. Just taking it to that slightly darker place, which is something that they've done well on the show. They did it here with Cat. They did it with Nina earlier this season. I think. It, I, I mean, I really appreciate that this is the kind of show that will go there.
1: Mm-hmm. I, 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 I'll be curious to see how they can spin Hicks's "I can aim well at stuff" into a dark subplot. Oh my god! But...
2: Yeah, that was that was the only stretch when he's like, "It's so hard." I'm like, "Dude, your your superpower is awesome." There's like, your <laughs> yeah. downside is I miss a lot. Come on. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, especially when he's talking about how how his son's gonna be a freak if he's a if he can also aim is like really yeah
2: <laughs> yeah that that's yeah that's a stretch. I think they need to do something. I don't know. I think the reason they haven't explored more negatives for him is that they can't think of any that make sense. Um, but if they come up with something, they really should start exploring that cause Yeah, he's, it's kind of pathetic.
1: Yeah, he's just kind of like a well-adjusted, handsome guy who can aim <laughs> yeah. well. It's just... I, I <laughs> yeah. mean, I guess the, the the divorce is a thing, but we don't really know much yeah. about that. But anyway, that's a so. separate
2: thing because he's an alcoholic and, you know, cut, ruined his... That's why his wife left him, not because he can't aim... He either can aim or is terrible at aiming, but... uh <laughs> I don't know. We need to stop making fun of this show, though, because it really is a good one, and yeah. it, nobody's watching it, and more people need to. So, watch Alphas. Yes,
1: yes please.
2: Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break and listen to some music and come back with our spotlight on Louis, The Late Show Part Two. that was some of the underscoring from this week's episode of Louie. And I don't know who their you know, straight up composers, but their music coordinator is Matt Kilmer. And apparently he and his band put together the music for the show and it's awesome. So it's nice to finally give them a little credit. So that was the music featured while Louie went out for a jog in what was uh, a fantastic episode uh, of Louie, the, uh, the late show part two, including, let's just get, let's get this out of the way at the start. David Lynch.
1: David motherfucking Lynch. We
2: love you, David Lynch. This was <laughs> hilarious. And Louis, you rock for, for thinking of this and getting him on your show.
1: Yeah, first of all, uh, I'm so, so, so glad that when we sat down to watch this, we had no idea.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it was if, if we had watched it 20 minutes later, I think it probably would have been spoiled for us. So that was great. Uh, I think just the second that I re- that I registered that it was him, which was maybe even before he said anything, I just uh, I I just said out loud, "Holy shit, David Lynch is on my television again."
2: I was like, I was seeing it and I was hearing it, but I wasn't believing it. <laughs> sort of, you know, it was like that. That looks like David Lynch. That sounds like David Lynch. Holy shit, it's David Lynch. It was really yeah. Cool. This is
1: this is his first live action appearance on television since uh, Twin, Twin Peaks, Peaks or, right? Or, I mean, maybe he, he appeared on um, on that radio sitcom he did afterwards, I don't know, but on the air. But, uh, yeah, since the early 90s, so, wow, uh, that's quite a get. And um, I also, God, so many things were great about this. And what's, what's interesting to me is that this episode didn't end just how crazily divided people are about this season um you would think people would just be happy for having david lynch on their television but apparently not i guess people need to watch more twin peaks
2: wait wait people didn't like this episode
1: uh some people didn't i I, don't understand yeah i don't know uh so many things i mean first of all even before we get to david lynch we have this four minute long take that opens the episode before we even get to the credits where louis and his ex-wife talk about uh the job prospect and She's kind of hoping she's going she's gonna to be discouraging and talk him out of it, which she totally does not do, which he doesn't take very well.
2: And she calls uh, him on it, and going, it's wonderful. Yeah,
1: which is a really nicely written scene that I think is a sort of a nice rebuke to people who are a, li- a little feeling a bit iffy about um, sort of female characterizations this season. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, what else did we have? We had, once we actually got to the office, there were lots of nice little... Not too overdone Lynchian touches, mm-hmm. uh, including a couple that I only noticed the second time I watched it. Like, the whole time he's in the office, there's this low-level drone mm-hmm. sort of under the whole thing, which is very Inland Empire. Uh, very, very cool. Uh, the way that the receptionist is played by two different actresses in within that scene, I, didn't, I, I, I noticed it at the end credits the first time. I didn't notice it in the scene the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was which was quite not- worth noting that the the guy playing the guy who turns up as the receptionist with the woman's voice at the end is Vernon Chapman, who is uh, now a, a producer on the show this season is also one of the co-creators of Wonder Shows and uh, it's nice to see him turn up for some reason and uh, yeah lots lots of goodness in this episode oh yeah also
2: Chris Rock Oh yeah. And Chris Clay Rock Davis. And, uh, yeah.
1: I I Isaiah Whitlock Jr. Mm-hmm. and just the weirdest, most awesome guest star lineup for a single episode of TV ever, maybe.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I like that uh it was you know, we of course were both stoked as soon as he popped up, but I like that it was a underplayed thing. I assume we're gonna see him again in part three. Uh if not, it was a nice nice hilarious little like brief moment just getting the crap cake out of him and then that you're done come back tomorrow um but i really enjoyed both leno and uh and chris rock in this that was you know just like the different elements of it i think this has got to be the most sympathetic portrayal we've seen of leno in any popular media since the whole conan debacle so that was interesting right.
1: yeah well i'm sure that sort of underdog portrayal must must appeal to uh to ck but um yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of a, a a lot going on in this episode, and it's we still have no idea how this ends really, or how far they're gonna take this whole concept, or mm-hmm. sort of where. I mean, I mean, the promo for next week gives us an idea, but um, yeah. Uh, what else bears mentioning? I I if I have a problem with this episode, and it, it's I guess it's sort of a problem with the season as a whole, where I feel like we've had, uh, and this is saying something for me we've had maybe a little bit too much pathetic Louie, mm-hmm. like who doesn't step up and isn't assertive. And there's, you, you wonder why he can't sort of summon any of his stand up wiles while sort of preparing for this potentially huge gig. Instead, he really, he just really flounders and it's almost to an unbelievable degree. And I'm, I'm sort of hoping maybe he pulls it out a little bit next week. Mm-hmm. Um, it sort of doesn't seem that way. Well- and, uh,
2: I think they've done a good job, though, of establishing... That it's not that he's pathetic, it's that he's afraid. And he's self-sabotaging himself. Like, everybody else is utterly confident that he can do this, that there's a reason that they're going to him as their backup, and that he's the, he, he could totally handle this. The ex-wife is absolutely certain in him. And uh, and then the other people he talks... <laughs> really? You think so? Yeah, I think she's certain that he has the capability to do this if he doesn't get in his own way. And so I think I mean kind of what I'm expecting right now is for him to pull it together, knock it out of the park, and then they go with Seinfeld, anyways. Um, but I'm sure that there, that that there'll be something in there, even if that's what they end up doing at the end of the episode. There'll be plenty in here that's that'll you know be interesting and unique and uh, fun little takes that I wouldn't you know nobody could have predicted. But I, I I see where you're coming from with that. But I think in this they did a good job of of showing. It's not just that he's pathetic, it's not just that he's weak, it's, you know, there's an underlying motivation for it, and uh, that feels like a very true one, at least to me. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. Maybe it'll end up, you know, to be determined by how it all wraps together.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm, I, again, I, I have no idea where they're going with this still, really, like, I, I don't, I guess I'm most interested in where, what that final beat is going to be, what what the what the conclusion of all this is? Where are they going with it? And because you know, because th- this is a pretty elaborate bit of, um, you know, comedy fantasy football. You know, like wh- wh- th- there's there should be a point to all this, mm-hmm. and I'm I still I have no idea what it is, and I'm not complaining. I just have no idea where it's headed.
2: I'm also curious how they're gonna end because there's another a- episode after this three-parter.
1: Yeah, that we assume is, is is unconnected. It's called New Year's Eve. That's all I got um which i don't know i the idea of a louis new year's episode makes me very happy but um yeah we'll see
2: i was kind of uh i felt like louis was kind of treading water this season after starting out so fantastically strong there but there were a few episodes off in the middle there where i think it felt like it tapered down and wasn't quite a, as as strong as maybe la- last season but if if they continue the last two episodes on this trajectory it's going to it's going to end great and it's going to be hard to pick between season 2 and season 3
1: yeah, we'll see. I mean, t- to me, season two is pretty clearly a little bit superior right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's only two episodes left, so I don't really know how much they can alter that. But I mean, it's still, if not the best show on TV, pretty damn close. Yeah. And, uh, it's, and the fact that it's already renewed and we're going to get to enjoy this for as long as C.K. feels like making it and that he's going to keep doing whatever the hell it is he wants. I, I do feel... You know, it's as as much as we've been um, just absolutely loving David Lynch in this episode and possibly next week as well. I I would appreciate if next week he cut back a little bit on the guests.
2: Oh yeah, I was, I,
1: I do feel like there's been overload this season.
2: Yeah, and focus more on you know the the actual Louis character and less on how these other people affect him. Yeah, yeah. I see or that. or
1: even like for instance, or or, or maybe just like. Because to me, the the best application of a guest last season was probably Doug Stanhope um, in in his episode. And he's, you know, technically a guest and people know, kind of know who he is, but he's hardly like a a Jay Leno. He's not going to, he's not going to draw in ratings, but it was still, it was a very canny bit of casting. And it would be nice to get sort of more appearances like that and maybe fewer, like, you know, as much as I I did like the Robin Williams episode, but it wasn't necessarily really necessary.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Well we'll we'll have to see what uh the final two episodes have to offer and then you know what I'm sure Louis is gonna go, you know, take his hiatus and I don't know if he's gonna listen to the reaction at all, but come back with some new ideas for season four and I can't wait to see what they are. Totally. Uh, let's do a few show notes here before we throw it to our DVD shelf with Steve Bricope. Um Our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by The Bicycles. Uh, you can find us up at soundonsite.org where you can stream the, uh, the the podcast and you can leave us comments there. Let us know what you think about all these different shows, all what's going on right now with uh, fall TV starting up and, uh, some, and uh, these summer shows coming towards their finales. You can uh, find us on iTunes. We have an M4A chaptered feed as well as an MP3 chap- uh, unchaptered feed. And we would love it if you want to leave any ratings or reviews there. You can reach us via email at the at gmail.com. We always re- reply, so feel free to drop us a line. Let us know what you're thinking. Um, you, we are also on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. You are?
1: At Sucker Howell.
2: And uh, uh, what should our question of the week be?
1: I always dread this. Um, and by I always dread this. I mean, I always remember it's going to happen five seconds before it does, and I have nothing to say. Um, that was a little window into my existence. Thank you. Ah, uh, I don't know. What should the question be? Um, I don't know. Emmys? Emmys related, maybe?
2: Yeah. What What are you most excited for for the Emmys? If you listen to this after the Emmys, what are, were you most uh happy about or uh disappointed about in the broadcast and the uh the results? And uh, speaking of, let's let's get, we have a few minutes here. Let's give some quick, I guess, picks for the Emmys or thoughts. Uh, mostly, like the big thing for me is I'm hoping that American Horror Story, I know that there are a lot of fans out there for American Horror Story, but I'm just hoping it doesn't sweep the miniseries category like I'm anticipating it will. I'm pulling for Sherlock in all those different perform- performance and uh, best categories. What, what about you?
1: I'm gonna take it a step further than that. I hope American Horror Story wins nothing, and in fact, wins some sort of antimatter award, so it's just sweep from existence.
2: Um, let's see. We have best uh, drama series. I, that's got to be. It's gonna be Breaking Bad, or maybe maybe Mad Men of, of these. Oh no, it, that's last season's Mad Men, isn't it? Uh,
1: yeah. I mean, did it last year? Wasn't it Mad Men only won best dramatic series and lost everything else? I kind of yeah. feel like they're determined to give it. Best series every year, no matter what, so... I feel
2: like it's that whole West Wing and uh, Sopranos thing, where uh, Sopranos got all the acting categories, and West Wing got all the best categories. And so, you know, uh, Martin Sheen never got an Emmy, because Gandolfini got them all, but Sopranos never got a best show Emmy.
1: Yeah, I just I just don't think they, they really... They all watch Breaking Bad as much. I think it just... If I had to guess... Mm-hmm. I think if they did, they would know what they were doing. Gotta be that. Uh,
2: Comedy, 30 Rock, Big Bang, Curb, Girls, Modern Family, Veep. I haven't seen Curb of these. I'd gotta give it to Girls with Veep right behind.
1: Yeah, I mean, the real question is where the fuck is Louie?
2: Oh, well, yes, of course. And Parks and Rec. The best shows are not even nominated, but.
1: Yeah. uh, Between those, uh, yeah, I mean, Girls or Veep would be fine by me. I still. I'm still of the opinion that people overrate girls just a ditch.
0: Just a titch.
1: But um yeah, but I, I I'm I'm s i i am sort of feel like that show's best days are in front of it. Um so I'm yeah, I, I would hold off on the accolades for now if possible. But out of that bunch, sure, why and not?
2: Modern Family probably will get it, right?
1: Yeah, oh yeah, probably, yes. They <laughs> love modern family, holy crap.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, reality show, I'd give it to Amazing Race, because I love that show, but it'd be nice if So You Think You Can Dance came away with it. Any thoughts?
1: Uh, I would agree with that.
2: Okay, uh, host, uh, I guess Phil, Amazing Race, or Cat, So You Think You Can Dance, same things. Though, Ryan Seacrest, as much as I'm not a fan of his, he what he does, he does very well on American Idol.
1: Yeah, I can't imagine ha- having to exude that much excitement over those people mm-hmm. so often for so long.
2: And then Cranston and Dane's have got to have drama wrapped up, right?
1: You'd think so. I don't know. Has, has It's, it's Dane's first outing, so we'll see.
2: We'll see. Um, and then comedy, I feel like, uh, what? See, oh, Louie is up, so fingers crossed for Louie um, for for lead actor. And I guess Amy Poehler for Parks and Rec.
1: Yeah, she had a great season.
2: Her episode was, you know, it's it's that final episode for her, and that's a great performance from her.
1: Yeah, for sure. She totally deserves that.
2: And then, we don't care, <laughs> let's let's be honest, we don't really care that much about the miniseries and movie, other than we don't want American Horror Story to win, right?
1: Nope.
2: Anything that else? That is correct. Any final, I guess, Aaron Paul or Dinklage for supporting actor drama?
1: I would be perfectly happy with either one, although, frankly, I mean, Dinklage had a funner season.
2: And then, of course, there's Giancarlo Esposito as Gus for er- Hermanos is in there, is in the, the you know, the mix as well.
1: I, I retract what I just said. Give it to him, please.
2: <laughs> okay. And then supporting actress in a drama, uh, Anna Gunn, Christina Hendricks. What do you think?
1: Um, that's that's a tricky one. Again, I feel like Hendricks probably got more to do, but Gunn has been so consistently great for so long, kind of feel like she should get something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's one of those gun puppy head decisions. I don't want to think about.
2: I kind of want Max Greenfield to win supporting actor comedy just as as Schmidt, just so that the Modern Family guys don't get it. Because while they're all fabulous, but they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be taking like four of the spots. They shouldn't all be nominated. It's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, no, Max Greenfield should totally. It it would be great if he was the benefit of some awesome vote splitting and Mm -hmm. snuck in there. But I kind of don't see it happening.
2: Yeah, and then I guess. Uh do you think Katherine Houston is going to get the uh, posthumous nod for supporting actress in a comedy? I don't. Know. Uh, otherwise, I guess Kristen Wiig. I love Kristen Wiig.
1: Yeah, yeah. She's she's always great.
2: And then uh I guess we'll, we'll, most people tend to be more preoccupied about the the acting, so we'll leave it there, but uh obviously if Downton Abbey and and uh uh Modern Family and American Horror Story could not sweep, we would be happy.
1: Yeah. Oh, and can I just say once more for good measure, motherfucked out Nabby. Screw you guys.
2: <laughs> I love because we weren't actually as negative on that show this last season until about halfway through. Uh so there was a part, you know, of this of season two where we weren't vitriolic in it was our hatred for It's perfectly enjoyable,
1: it. but just the, but the love fest just make just radicalizes me.
2: Yeah. So there it goes uh we're gonna leave it at that we're gonna throw it over to our uh, dvd shelf with steve for from ain't it cool news of course capone over there talking horror so we will uh take a break and come back right after this
0: cleaning out the ashes it's been bolted shut by me and that's the way it should stay i think we have visitors visitors mice i thought
2: i saw something in the kitchen Ah! it was something like this little ferocious animal grabbed at my dress
1: We we want you we want you we want you we want you
2: Back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsic, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD shelf, we are kicking off what's going to be sort of a recurring segment every now and again. And uh, we're welcoming Steve Procopi, uh, of course Capone from Made It Cool News, to to the DVD shelf to do Capone's horror picks. And this week we're talking about three different TV movies or miniseries. Salem's Lot, Duel, and Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. Uh, Steve, welcome to the show, and uh, I'm scared, and it's all your fault.
0: <laughs> That's great. I know when you were watching uh, Salem's Lot and you were sort of sending messages out about it, I was so I, I was like a proud father. I felt like <laughs> I would introduced a youngling to horror movies that I, I loved as a kid, or hated as a kid, however you want to look at it. But I think I was 11 when I watched Salem's Lot, which my parents should be... Sh- Locked up for <laughs> letting me watch that.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I was talking to you at uh, uh, we met down at Ebert Fest and uh, and and Comic Con and all that stuff, and I wanted you to know if you would come out and talk about horror because I know you're a horror fan. And what had occurred to me is that it doesn't seem that, until maybe this year with uh, American Horror Story, there haven't really been very many successful horror TV shows. So before we get into these individual TV movies and miniseries, I'm curious if you have an opinion on that, why horror seems to work better on television for people as a, a limited engagement, perhaps, as opposed to an ongoing series.
0: I, you know, I, and the only like typically when I was growing up, the the things that seemed to work the best in terms of uh, of horror were the anthology ones, like the Tales from the Crypt or Tales from the Dark Side or Twilight Zone or whatever. And and it 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 was never yeah you're right it was never these ones that would sort of stretch it out over a full season. Uh, I I don't know why maybe maybe people can only handle horror in, in short bursts. I, I'm not sure if I've ever really thought about it, but it it does seem like. You try to stretch it out. Maybe you get used to what it is it's supposed to be scaring you, and it just stops scaring you after a while. But if you if it if it maintains some if it keeps you confused as to what you're scared of, and if it, it's kind of like real life, as soon as you figure out what it is it's scaring you, it's not so scary. So I don't know. I I I always love those anthology pieces, and American Horror Story though does a great job of just baffling me week after week. So um, I love that show, and I'm, I'm super excited that it's coming back.
2: Yeah, but then again, that's another anthology series with uh, a yeah. season at a time.
0: Kind of. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah it's, it's sort of a long-form anthology series, yeah. and it, I, I, which means that the only real long-form horror show that follows a continuous narrative is The Walking Dead, which is riddled with problems. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, and there's a whole other podcast that you can listen to from Sound On Sight talking about The Walking Dead, uh, but let's get into... Because I watch these, so we got to talk about them so that I can justify... Having been scared <laughs> to varying degrees by these three different uh, features, I guess. So let's let's dive in with Salem's Lot. This is, of course, the 1979 miniseries, and not the the second miniseries that was far more recent, or the the version that was. I believe they edited it down a bit and released it as a theatrical um, release. Yes.
0: In Europe, yeah, I think Duel also was released in Europe as a feature, but yeah. Um...
2: So, so why Salem's Lot?
0: Why was it released, or why is it great?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I was more going, why did you pick it? But...
0: Why did I, oh, because it's the scariest thing I've ever seen on television. I mean, that's the bottom line. And like I said, I was very young. I had, I don't think I'd even read the book yet, although my at least my mother was a big Stephen King fan back then. Um, and I had read Carrie, if I, meant, if I remember correctly, although I don't think I'd seen the film. But it just... It, there is something and I watched it again recently in, in preparation for this and you it, know it, it does seem kind of cheesy and very dated but there are just elements of that thing that just scare the crap out of me still and and, and I, you know I, I live and breathe horror and to, to be still creeped out by something uh that's very elementary I guess uh, is kind of shocking to me but but yeah and, and and the big reason is that they 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 hold off on giving you the thing that you're most scared of. I mean, you really you're you're well into the second half of this story before they show this vampire, and he's not just any vampire. He's the greatest looking vampire. He's an homage to the greatest vampire of all time from Nosferatu, and he you know he's got the fangs right in the front. He's kind of got this big blue head. He's played by this actor. I think he was Aus- Austrian. Who had burns on the bottom part of his face that they kind of hid with makeup, but it adds to the weirdness of his mouth. And um, they, they've created—they create this feral vampire that is so the opposite of of the Draculas that we had seen up to that point. Uh, that some of which were seductive and beautiful and elegant, and people who love horror don't want that crap. They—they they want beasts in the night that are snapping your neck and sucking your blood and and you're supposed to be scared of and not in love with so that's, that, that's why i loved
2: it. <laughs> well and then also that vampire design is different than in in the book too if you know i haven't read the salems a lot having you know this limit of image you know from the miniseries was enough i didn't need my imagination and mm-hmm. having the book to play with uh, but as i understand it it's a very different take on the main vampire than in the books so i think that's interesting
0: yeah, no, it is. It is. And I think that was Toby Hooper, the director's uh, choice. Um, but my goodness, and probably I'm probably I'm sure he worked with the makeup guys on, on coming up with that look. But that that's what sealed the deal for me was that they they created a vampire that we not so much hadn't seen ever. I'm th- I think at the age I saw it at, which was about 11, I had not seen Nosferatu. So I hadn't seen that kind of vampire before. And I I've been, I grew up with like Christopher Lee and Bella Lugosi. And so I, that's what I was used to. And to see this was like, what have they done to my beautiful vampires? And of course they made them better. So yeah.
2: Simon, what'd you think?
1: Uh, I will second the love for the vampire designs. Um, I think seeing this as someone who, and this is also so, somewhat similar to my experience with uh, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, uh, seeing this, uh, new and not having seen it as a kid, I think uh, is is a very different experience from the one Stephen had. I think um, first of all, I have to blame uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place for <laughs> um, for my slightly skeptical take on the on the movie because the, this whole trope of uh, you know horror fantasy writer comes to you know it's sort of a supernatural supernaturally inclined area and sort of tries to sort it out from the from the outside um and, and something about D- david soul's performance really really gave me a dark place vibe <laughs> uh so and you know james mason didn't hurt either i have to say so i i constantly had i i, I kept constantly hoping for like richard ayade to show up and start cracking wise um unfortunately it didn't happen I think uh you know clearly for me the the highlights were the makeup and uh, some some of the late sort of tense scenes are are great I have to say the the three hour cut that I watched was de- definitely felt overstretched, especially in that first half where we were spending time sort of developing the the um slightly lacking love interest. <laughs>
2: Ah, oh, see, I was fine with, with, with her. And I actually think that, uh, well, yes, it was long. I don't think it needed the full three hours. Having that time at the beginning where you're st- establishing all your characters, I think, was really significant and really important. And I think that's one of the things that make the, makes this work. Um, I, I won't say that you necessarily care about all these characters maybe as much as would be ideal, but it's also spending time building the dread because of the way that it starts with the tag, you know, that probably everybody's dead. Um, and, and so the, the longer they wait to, to have a, any of these reveals, the more that you're building up the tension and building up the tension. And I actually really appreciate that. It takes its time.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's certainly scenes earlier in the film that, that, I mean, especially, even just James Mason is so good in this and, and he's hamming it up a little bit, but but he's still just
2: oh but he's fun
0: no no compared to what other everyone else is doing he i mean he is a highlight for me i loved seeing it this is probably the first thing i ever saw him in so it's always held a very special place in my heart this performance um but he's just you know he's just he's in a different movie i mean he, he really is and and it's a slightly better movie even um but it, when he and the vampire are both sort of an active part of the story, that's when this is at its best. But I still love the scene with the giant crate moving in the back of the truck. And I love mm-hmm. all the scenes with the floating kids scratching on the windows like that's stuff that pretty much fueled my nightmares for about five years after I saw this thing the first time. So yeah, I didn't, the idea of kid vampires never occurred to me. Ankle
2: the creepy part to me, I, mean, I think that that, the crate moving forward had a great sense of dread i don't specifically remember this but perhaps because i don't specifically remember it i feel like the music probably had to be successful in 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 the sound design in in the particularly in the early part of it building the dread building the uh the anticipation but i was like jumping out of my skin in a few moments before we saw any vampires when the kid just gets there's just a black form that overpowers the kid, you know, just kind of takes away the frame. That was the first part that, part that got me, but the part of this of this miniseries that I will take away as by far the creepiest is the first floating kid outside <laughs> the window, uh, which some of us will remember a take on that from the, the Buffy film, uh, <laughs> which is, you know, more of a comedic uh, take and kind of awesome, but the uh, just that image with the, the lighting and with the makeup and the contacts and the, the mist completely terrifying. (laughs) Just, just the kid hanging out inside the window. Hey, I'm your best friend. You should let me in. Yeah, (laughs) Utterly menacing. And I, I think that's, you know, yes, the creature design for the, for the main vampires is interesting and well done. And I haven't seen Nosferatu. It's one of the few, you know, real horror movies I've seen. Um, and I appreciate that, that, you know, motivate that, uh, origin for for this vampire but that wasn't nearly as creepy to me as the 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 children being the first victims
0: yeah yeah go for the i mean that's what they're doing they basically go for the weakest like you know like just like in the wild like the they'll go for the youngest animals in the wild to kill because they're the weakest and uh mm-hmm. so that's what the, Yeah, that's adds to the sort of animal nature of the whole the whole experience yeah. Was anyone else weirded out by how young Fred Willard is in this? <laughs> oh, it was <laughs> how, so
2: fun. <laughs> how
0: undressed he is. That weirded me out.
2: <laughs> yeah, that was a nice uh, little surprise, of course. I also, uh, the love interest, Bonnie Bedelia, uh, to me, she will always be Mrs. McLean from Die Hard, uh, punching annoying reporters oh, yeah. in the face. Uh, yeah. So uh, I, you know, very much enjoy that. Of course, the the connection, the biggest connection I make with James Mason uh, at the moment is Eddie Izzard's stand up where he always voices God as James Mason. <laughs> so so I have all sorts of different you know uh, references that were popping in my head while I was watching this. But uh, to the to the miniseries credit and also as we've said many times on the show before, I'm an utter scaredy cat. So probably a lot of the credit goes to that. But not long into the into the miniseries, I wasn't paying attention to the fact that God was threatening a young Fred Willard. Uh, I, I was just. You know, you know, looking out, I I started watching this, this miniseries at like 830 in the morning so that it would start and end when it was (laughs) really sunny outside. You know, it was by far for me the most successful of these three at actually scaring me at, at, you know, I, you know, what's going to happen. There's no mystery. You know what is going to happen. And yet, at least for me, it totally works.
1: A quick shout out to George Sansa too from uh, from early Law and Order, mm-hmm. who turns up in a in a pretty awesome,
0: but uh, if relatively brief role here. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, do we have any final thoughts on Salem's Lot before we move on to our next pick?
0: Consider consider for a fact that, that the director Toby Hooper. This is the movie he made between Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Poltergeist. So, mm-hmm. um, that that's quite a line. Assuming he actually did direct Poltergeist, that's quite. A lineup uh in his early career and that he never really matched after it so yeah well i i personally
1: i i mean i enjoyed bits of this but i would not ever consider putting this on the same level as texas chainsaw in any way but maybe that's just me
0: i, I well no it's not the same level certainly but it's the, the it's actually quite a i'd say it shows more of a range than uh some people might realize he has
2: yeah this was uh when i was watching it clearly it was working because i was sitting there you, you know when you can feel you watch something and i'm sure this is why people like horror movies but you can feel the adrenaline hit your toes you know <laughs> when you're you're you know sitting there or, or lying on the couch watching something and you know that it's just a movie uh and yet your body just has that instant you know fight or flight response i guess of surging adrenaline through you uh Hey, I was watching this, and that was happening a couple different times. I was going, yes, I understand why people, I guess, like to watch horror movies. I'm having the same biochemical response, <laughs> yeah. but this isn't fun. <laughs> I don't know why people do this to themselves.
1: Well, uh, hey, if if you enjoy this, Toby Hooper made another movie. It's called The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think you should watch it.
2: See, I just said that I didn't.
1: No,
0: but you should, though. We're preparing a care package for you uh, oh, goodness. Full, of, full of movies to watch, <laughs> so we'll get is. you there. This is just, just brainwashing.
2: Steps, isn't it? This is just, you know...
0: Oh, yeah. you're totally... Yeah, you're totally getting a package on Halloween. <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> this is the beginning of the brainwashing.
2: Uh, let's move on to our next pick, Duel, which I think is perhaps best known by you know non-horror enthusiasts as that other thing that Steven Spielberg did back before people knew who Steven Spielberg was. Or if they look at a list of his movies, they go, oh, I haven't seen that one. Uh, this is a TV movie from 1971. It's The original broadcast uh, for TV was 74 minutes. They they added some footage to round it out to 90 for the theatrical cut. But uh, pretty straightforward story. You don't piss off a tanker truck when you're driving along the road. <laughs> Why did you pick this one?
0: Oh, this, this, this is easy because this is... Uh... This is Jaws before Jaws. I mean, it's basically the template for Jaws. Um, it's just, you kind of, it's just this sort of cat and mouse thing that, uh, and in fact, I think, I think if you watch the, uh, I think there's a, one of the documentaries on the new Jaws Blu-ray has a, he mentions that when the, the shark is, I don't want to ruin it for anyone, the shark is sort of dying, floating down, <laughs> to the, or maybe it's when it explodes or something that he actually incorporated the sound the truck makes at the end of Duel where it falls down into the cavern and all that twisted metal sound. That sound is mixed in somewhere in the sound mix of Jaws uh, as an homage to the fact that yeah, Duel is basically like his his f- first run through mm-hmm. of, of Jaws. And it's just, it, but it's just such a great, uh, it's not really, I wouldn't even necessarily say it's scary. Oh, there's a couple little jumps maybe, but it's just such a great, efficiently made cat and mouse game where, you know, we don't even, we, we never see the driver of this 18 wheeler that's barreling down on this guy, the sort of mild mannered guy that Dennis Weaver plays. And uh, it, it just, it's just such a rush. Like it, it, there's like little breathe. It's just perfectly paced. It just like jaws. It there's little breathe moments where you can breathe in between and then just goes right back into it. It's even worse than the last scene. And um, it's just, it's just such a great, a great little and it's it's the best known of Spielberg's pre um not pre Jaws but maybe more like uh, uh pre Sugarland Express uh movies um uh just because it, it did again it got a theatrical release in some countries and uh and it played really really well on television too from what i remember like people reacted to it very well so it's i don't know i it's 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 one of those movies you've got to watch it to understand. But once you watch it, you'll understand why it needs to be sort of listed in this group of films we're talking about.
2: Uh, Simon, what did you think?
1: Yeah, This was my first time properly watching Duel, and I have to say I had a blast with it. You know, people make the Jaws comparison, but Duel is, to me, sort of a weirder movie and also sort of a psychologically more unstable one than Jaws is and a lot of that is due i i have to credit uh, Dennis Weaver who plays uh, David Mann our 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 protagonist and what i love about this movie is that is that David Mann is one of the least impressive protagonists in movie history <laughs> he's just this he's this you know very average guy who when he gets scared or excited he starts to sort of squeak a bit <laughs> and mm just sort of runs around, not really knowing what to do. I mean, at near the end of the movie, he finally gets a bit of resolve, but before that he's just paranoid and, you know, he's not even a particularly great driver. <laughs> he's just—he <laughs> just, He just happens to be in the way when this evil, you know, truck of Satan shows up and, you know, and that combined with these, you know, these, um, this phone call we get with his wife where, and, you know, the sort of the the early radio segment where we just get the feeling that this is a totally emasculated guy. Mm -hmm. And that adds this weird gender dynamic that I wasn't expecting or hadn't noticed before. And I don't know, I I find the whole movie, again, not necessarily scary, but uh, definitely fascinating and exciting and and so much fun to watch.
2: Interesting. This was definitely the least successful for me. Uh, I was watching it, and at a certain point, about, I think, about... Twenty-five minutes in, uh, going. Sweet, it's just gonna be this for another forty (laughs) five Damn right. I I think as as much as I do.
0: Would you have, liked some backstory? Is that
2: what you want? No, (laughs) we don't... No, no, we didn't need backstory. I think, actually, that's one of the things that Spielberg gets right. There's just the... the, You know, like Simon said, there's just the right amount of backstory with, you know, you you know everything you need to know about this character based on his interactions with his wife, based on the fact that he didn't stand up for her at dinner the the other night. And based on his, you you know, his interaction with his radio early on, I think it's very efficient storytelling. I didn't need... The narration that didn't help. I don't think. I think that would have been far more successful if they'd, if you trusted the audience to get it based on the performance. I think there's more they could have done with editing to give you the the main character's point of view and his his uh, where his mind was at. That I think would have made the narration even less necessary. And I think there are various points where it. um, While I do you know obviously you need valleys so that you can have peaks i think it they're just too long in some of these sections um there are a couple specific things i will note though i was so very so very glad when the the truck crashed into the snake lady's place and <laughs> we had confirmed by somebody else the truck actually existed i was so worried it was going to be is it in his head or is it not I was very glad there was a concrete answer to that. And then my second thing, maybe this makes me even more unsophisticated of a horror viewer, and I understand what he's what Spielberg is going for. And at the very end, when when the truck crashes, the grinding, the stretching, the uh, of of me- metal, the, the the sound design is fabulous there. And I understand that perhaps this would have killed the whole you know analogy of the truck to a great beast, but. We spend an entire movie watching a, gi- a giant <laughs> truck that has flammable written in huge letters on its side and its back. And you spend, you know, so you spend so much time looking, staring at a truck that says flammable and then there's no flames. <laughs> Am I a terrible person for being just a little bit bothered by that?
0: Uh, I wouldn't say Flames are terrible. expensive, man. <laughs> Yeah. I just I
2: saw that and I just kept waiting for. it. I'm like, oh, it's gonna happen, and it's gonna be so cool when it does, and then it didn't.
0: Uh, yeah, <laughs> I got nothing for you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think you're looking for the wrong things out of Duel.
0: <laughs> I I will say this based on I, what you said about the narration was that uh, I I didn't rewatch it for this particular discussion, but I've seen it fairly recently, and I. I, just hearing you say that, I'm like, what is she talking about? I don't ever remember that there's narration. It has that little impact on mm-hmm. me. I I, I just, I must completely block it out, because, probably because you're right. It's totally unnecessary. But Yeah, I agree. Uh, but it's, it, it, it's so unnecessary that I make it non-existent in my head, apparently, when, when I watch it. So I have no recollection of it.
2: One of the other things I will say that I appreciated about this, that I liked about it, is that while obviously we never see the driver, we, you can tell that it's a guy, um, if you're looking, maybe that's just because of the high-def transfers and stuff, maybe you weren't supposed to be able to tell that, and you can tell Mm. that he's white, um, by, you can see part of his hand at one point, um, and just having that tiny bit of detail, I think, is good in it, that it makes it feel like there actually is a person there, but it gives you enough to know, to feel like there actually is a specific person there, but, Obviously, nowhere near enough to to define who anything about that guy. But I like that we get little inklings of maybe why he's doing it, if only in the at the very beginning of of the film, where first the guy, the, our our character man, <laughs> cuts him off and is kind, you know, is just kind of a jackass about it. Isn't you know particularly, uh, you know. Pleasant, maybe in his road manner because he doesn't think, he's not even thinking. And then also, they go to the gas station and he has to sit around and wait for this other guy to get his car fixed. And so, you can see how there's just little things that you know push that because obviously, there's a point when he comes back. Uh, And so, I think I like that there's just this tiny little detail enough to make you think that maybe you can understand how somebody just goes off the deep end and gets nuts and that, and road rages and decides he's going to kill this guy. So I thought I thought that little detail was cool.
0: I choose to believe the driver is Large Marge from Kiwi. <laughs> so I don't agree with you that it's a man, necessarily.
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I guess we can move on to uh, our next one. Do you guys have any final thoughts on uh, Duel? It's,
1: you know, awesome. it's great and you're wrong. <laughs> okay.
2: That's cool. I, you know, bringing people together through their mutual agreement that I'm an idiot. That's all good with me. <laughs> Uh, let's Definitely. let's move on then to Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, uh, which, and then this is, is, of course, the original TV film, not the, the movie remake. It's from 1973. Um, so we have here a, a trio of, of films from the 70s. Salem's Lot, of course, was in 79. Um, and this is about uh, a guy and his wife who is uh, beset upon by goblins. For lack of a better word, and in a creepy house. Uh, So, uh, Steve, why did you pick this one?
0: The Goblins, or whatever they are. They they (laughs) just, I mean, honestly, and there, there was another film we had in contention, Trilogy of Terror, which also features a little creature that scurries around and hides behind things. And and it's it's the same the same thing. I that just freaks me out. The same reason bugs freak me out. The same reason, yeah. It, just little. Well, the thing I remember most about responding to this and this is the this is the film of these three that I have seen the furthest ago. Uh, so so my memory's a little, little lapse maybe. But the what I remember thinking was so unique about this film was the way that in a lot of horror films there's a a single creature or maybe if there's some sort of evil force it like it's sort of it's one-on-one it's like a a monster or a a slasher or something going against one person or a group of people but you never even if there is some larger evil force you always assume that the evil force is sort of conspiring behind the scenes to get us to get me whatever here you hear the creatures talk to each other and that really bothered me for some reason. That, and in a good way. That really, really freaked me out because you hear the conspiracy, you hear the the planning, and just like, where is she? Where is she? And and that really freaked me out because that's like a conversation we're not supposed to hear. And for some reason, that got under my skin. Uh, and of course, just I mean, just. The, the glimpses we get of them are are good. Um, they, they show much more of them in the remake, which does no good for it. Doesn't help at all. It doesn't make it any scarier. But um, that I, I, and I just think Kim Darby does a great job of just being scared to death. Seven.
1: Yeah. Sorry, guys. Little creatures don't scare me. I've I've tried. I've I've seen a bunch of movies that try it. I've seen the remake, which you know which is produced by Guillermo del Toro and at least has an awesome opening sequence. I don't know if you remember it. I, I do, teeth. with the teeth, yeah, sure, yeah, which basically felt like an outtake from Pan's labyrinth, therefore it was great, but, um, yeah, I don't know, pest control, <laughs> higher pest control, what is so hard about that? really, just get a really good vacuum cleaner. <laughs> I don't know, like this little creatures hiding in the walls don't scare me, they just feel silly, it feels like Fraggle rock is out to get you. <laughs> it, it just it's th- i've always had this block with this story and uh at the at the very least this gets this gets uh this original gets it done more economically than the new one did but uh i don't know just that i, I have this real strong block where and again maybe if i'd seen it as a kid because i know that th- this movie is a genuine cult item people who saw it uh when it originally aired on tv when they were young it absolutely scared them witless and that's why the remake exists because Del Toro was such a huge fan. But um, I, I think seeing it for the first time as a as a uh, steel as a steely horror fan and an adult, it, it just felt silly.
2: This one, uh, I I thought it worked. I, I liked it. Well, I didn't like it. I was scared by it. <laughs> I think it's the you know, I, I yeah I better be accurate with my terms here. I definitely didn't didn't enjoy it, uh, but that's because it did its job. I think, and I think it was scary. I thought, I, yeah, Simon. I don't know about you. Creepy uh, whispery voices. That that's gonna scare me. That's gonna you know it does the trick, uh, and maybe that's because I like I wake up easily in the middle of the night. If like there's a squirrel on the roof or something like little noises will wake me up. And so then it's easy to hear leaves against a window or something else and to hear whispers where they don't exist. So maybe it's that, um, maybe it's just like, like I said before, because I'm not, uh, used to a lot of these horror tropes the way that other people are. But, um, I, yeah, I thought it worked. I think that there are a couple of things about it that I haven't seen before that I enjoyed. The fact that, well, first of all, you're just yelling at your screen, get out of the house, you idiot. <laughs> uh, so so there's that. That that was a little frustrating. But as soon as they drug her, I, I, can you guys think of another thing where the creepy monster that's trying to kill somebody in the house drugs the person?
1: I probably could if you pressed me, but I, nothing comes to mind right now.
0: No, nah, i I can't really know
2: yeah because that that's creepy and that uh, that adds a uh, a level of believability to why uh, she dr is...
0: G- dr giggles maybe
2: I have no <laughs> idea what that is
1: <laughs> yeah you don't want to know
2: yes I think that is accurate I do agree that jim uh that Kim darby is is really great in this I will say that uh I think it features the worst husband in television that I've seen in a very 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 long time i actually considered putting together that as a top 10 list but i couldn't think of other husbands that were as terrible as this guy
1: actually i i i've seen the worst uh, husband in a horror movie ever and he is peter sarsgaard in orphan <laughs> <laughs> if, oh, if, do you know remember what i'm talking about Stephen?
0: well i mean i assume you're yeah i mean it's yes he is
1: not only not only the worst horror movie husband, but also the dumbest man in movie history.
2: See, I, I was going with TV. Normally, it's like, oh, they cheated on me. Oh, they hit me. These are all very bad. Uh, mm-hmm. The oh silly woman, you're terrified for your life. I have a business meeting. What are you doing?
0: I think that I think that's the yeah the most dismissive husbands is what you're yeah. really saying. Oh, but uh, it, it's a, that's
1: a pretty that is a, that is an extremely common horror trope though the the disbelieving husband or partner who you know, doesn't figure out that stuff's real until way too late or never does and gets offed.
2: I was very much appreciative of the fact that they had the friend believe her. I, I think it would have been nice if they had gotten to that a little sooner. Mm. I don't know if that would have messed up their their, their act pacing, but, you know, I, I very much liked, especially as she was at that point uh, drugged up, so she couldn't really do, argue much for her defense, but you have the friend saying, there are rope burns on her hand. She can't have made this up. Um, also, I think that the, the, there's a level of ingenuity with the uh, attacks by her on the monsters. I like that you know, as soon as she figures out that they're photosensitive, she turns the light on. I think the camera trick is really neat. From what I hear, they incorporate that further in the uh, in, in in the new movie. They
1: they do, yeah. There's quite a bit of that.
2: Uh, yeah, and so I think there's a lot, you know, I think there's a lot here that makes sense. I think that the the monsters do a pretty good job. And also, I guess, spoiler alert, she dies in the end, ish. That's great. <laughs> I love the ending. That's the perfect way to end this. And I was not necessarily anticipating it.
0: Yeah. It, it is interesting in this discussion to find out what, uh, because I, I do think when you see, I, I saw all three of these films when I was much younger, and uh, uh, except for uh, duel I don't think I saw yeah it would have been three so no that probably didn't happen but um, <laughs> I, I did see the other two when I was much younger and it's funny that some of these things are things that scare you still today because you were exposed to them when you were young and some of them I rewatched them they, they don't scare me at all because I saw them when they were young and it's kind of funny just to find out what what sticks Mm-hmm. and and what fuels the dreams and what kind of desensitizes you to certain things. And uh, I think that's an interesting uh, thing to consider.
1: <laughs> yeah, for, for, as as way of summation for me, you know, clowns, totalitarian government, um, someone putting a finger in my belly button. These things will always be scary to me, but uh, little creatures hiding behind the walls will never scare me.
2: Yeah, if you want a creepy clown, uh, you should get to that uh, Supernatural rewatch, because there's at least one very creepy clown in Supernatural. Uh, I can't really do much for you. Good to know what I won't be watching. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I can't really think of a totalitarian regime. Apparently, like I said uh, several times in this segment, I'm not that hard to scare. Creepy little things trying to kill you, that's going to work. Voices, you know, a house speaking to you, floaty kids outside a window, you know, even uh, you know, a tailgating car getting in too close, you know, that's. <laughs> th- these are all things that will scare me. So.
0: I'm I, taking notes. So yeah, go ahead.
2: <laughs> no, what have I done?
0: <laughs> You've you, yeah, dictated the next few movies you'll be getting from uh, We're
1: planning a scavenger hunt. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Oh, good. Time. So I guess I would say if you haven't seen these and you like horror. I think they're definitely worth checking out. I mean, Simon, I know that these weren't as successful to you. They didn't scare you that much. Um, are you, Would you recommend them to people based on their historical uh, or cultural reference, referential uh, value or are for you, are they just skips
1: uh, for, I mean, Duel is awesome for anyone, especially if, I mean, just on any level with, for a TV or movie fan, it's just, to me, it's just a blast to watch. Uh, Salem's Lot. I think if you're a Stephen King fanatic, you probably have seen it already, but I think it's worth checking out. Uh, I haven't seen the newer version. I don't know if it's any more successful, but uh, and certainly as a Toby Hooper TV movie in the middle of his sort of most successful period, I think it's 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 earned its place in sort of horror history. But uh, yeah, to me and to to me, Don't be afraid of the dark is just sort of a curiosity.
2: Okay and uh steve obviously you picked uh, these if you would if you were going to tell somebody to watch one which would it be
0: um if you're a, a pure horror fan i would say salem's lot for just historical purposes duel absolutely is you know a great launching point for you know an enduring director clearly hmm. but yeah i think i think those are the two that i would say i think they're both important films historically to be honest
2: Good times. Well, thank you so much for coming on to, you know, help scare the crap out of me. And I look forward to hopefully you'll come back and of course. Uh, of pick course. some more. Oh, goodness. What am I getting myself <laughs> into? Uh, where can our <laughs> listeners uh, find you online?
0: Uh, Anacool.com.
2: Thank you again so much for coming on. Everybody, thank you for listening. Yeah, thanks. We'll be, we will be back next week with another episode of the Televerse.